Welcome back to the morning skate. I'm your host today, Garrison. Got a fun one planned. Uh, you know, business development conversations. Uh, company I've been following for a couple of years now. Uh, the leader and fastest, the world's first clean, safe, automated home sharpener. Uh, today we're joined by Russ Layton, the founder and CEO of Sparks Hockey. Welcome to the morning skate, Russ. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So it's. Uh, you know, we've been we've been seeing you guys everywhere lately, all over uh, Instagram. Patrick Kane's a uh, main uh, endorser of your products. Um, before we before we dive into a little bit more of your backstory, you want to give kind of a quick uh, elevator pitch or synopsis of of your company and uh, the technology. Sure. So uh, we are Sparks Hockey. We we came into the market to try to democratize skate sharpening. Um, we wanted to make a product that was safe, easy to use, that allowed everybody to really play at the, you know, their highest level that they, they could attain um, and not be held back by a bad skate sharpening. Um, a lot of us have experienced that where a skate sharpening wasn't readily available. Um, and so we went out, we had a bad skate and, and I suffered that a ton, and which I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah. Um, but uh, just just always felt like this is such a high performance sport and and the foundation is really, you know, your skates. And that shouldn't be something with all the technology that we have that that's get that gets sacrificed. That that should be something that's just solid every time you get on the ice. Yeah, it's like um, kind of the, one of my coaches growing up would always say, if you fail to prepare, prepare to fail. And, you know, I I'm sure all of us hockey players have that mindset going into you tape your stick, you get your skate sharpened. It's such a different feeling walking into the rink, knowing you're ready to play hockey. Like I ate a good meal. You did all the good stuff. And, um, you know, I'm someone who, you know, has that game day routine and not having the sharpener or I live in Saratoga Springs and there's not even a, a place to get it within uh, 20 minutes. You've got to drive to the next town over. So it's like, God, <laughs> the convenience yeah. aspect of it um, is huge too. And I'm sure, sure we'll get more into that um yeah and it's and it's also even though it's 20 minutes away and we have tons of uh commercial customers you don't always have a need for skate sharpening when that skate even if you could get there you know it might not be open you know you might have an early morning game a late game and it's just it's not always the best solution to be relying upon someone that has you know business hours to cover your skate sharpening almost everything else you can have a backup stick you can you know you, you can almost get by with anything else but that yeah. skate sharpening everything is um you know sort of built on that and that was you know so the product is really to try to put something in the hands of the consumer that allows them to control that part yeah yeah you're constantly prepared one of the uh like our audience is a lot of um elder side like retired beer leaguers kind of all of us you know just doing it for the love of the game 9 30 at night tuesday nights um all the shops are closed by then so for me to drive yeah. down and uh, you know it's it's challenging um but one of my teammates just picked up one of your uh, spark sharpeners so on sunday nights i'll hand him my skates and he'll bring them back to me on my tuesday night skates so that's been working out for me that makes you super popular too that's yeah the, that's the good thing about our product yeah um tournaments too I, that's one of the things i was going to talk to you about eventually i know we're hopping all over the place but 
Uh, Jimmy and I go to a lot of tournaments in the summer, and I'm sure that's a hit on the uh, truck bed in the parking lot of a summer tournament and stuff. So uh, that's cool. So you grew up in Massachusetts. Uh, I did not. Okay. All right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah. So let's, yeah, I can give you that background. So yeah, I grew up in New Jersey. Okay. Um, in the eighties. And so that was, I don't exactly remember when the devils came in. It might've been the late seventies, early eighties, but I was a, a devil's fan growing up. Um, I grew up in a pretty urban area, uh, that didn't have a suburb of Newark, New Jersey, and we didn't have a local rink. And so I started probably about seven years old, eight years old playing street hockey. That was like a big thing in my area. Um, You know, you sort of had all of, all of us that had um, friends and older siblings and stuff. They were like the slap shot generation. Right. And so we were, we were urban kids, you know, dragging the Milek pads and the Milek, you know, the, the balls and the sticks and heading down to the tennis court. And we would just spend like the whole weekend playing street hockey. And so I did that for my first few years. I, I didn't really know, like ice hockey was something you saw on TV. It wasn't something that anyone you know did. Um, and then um, in my, in middle school was when I first um, started wow. skating. And uh, I think I've heard some of your other podcasts where, you know, everybody, people, when they describe it, like the, that first time when you skated, mm. it just like something clicked. And yeah. I can't explain. I remember coming home to my mom and I had jumped around. I had done soccer and baseball and karate and all these different sports and all of them. I just never felt really comfortable. And then I, I skated. And again, I'd been playing hockey for five years and I went skating at public skating in Montclair, New Jersey. And uh, I came home and I was like, I found my sport and I had done it for like an hour. And I was like, I was so confident that that it was going to be the sport for my life. Um, and then that just started the love, you know, middle school. Um, you know, I just started house league, traveling, played all through high school. Um, so, but that was me, New Jersey. Yeah, so you you fell in love with it and then you decided you're just in on a team and you would travel to that closest rank then? Yeah, so I started out, um, nobody from my town played ice. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I actually went away to private school for high school. Um uh, for my first two years. So uh, freshman, sophomore year, it was basically to play hockey and, and get educated. Um, and it was all boys Catholic school. And I think a lot of people have this same, uh, story, but I, I was two years in and was like, this is not for me. I could, I couldn't handle the hour bus ride. And, um, I had a good club team. I was playing for the, the, the devils had a youth organization that I was playing for a club. And that was, that was sufficient. And I, I went back to public school and just played club hockey um, through the rest of high school. Nice. Uh, yeah. No. Did you, how about yourself? Did you? So uh, Yeah, I played um, just kind of public or youth hockey and then public high school. We came in second place in New York State my senior year. My little uh, claim there. But my dad went to uh, uh, Northfield Mount Hermon. And kind of had that, had that boarding school, uh, you know, all hockey. And, you know, he still speaks wonders about how good it was for his education as well as hockey. Um, yeah, it was. It, and, I, and that's something that I probably look back and and maybe regret that I left um, for the hockey side. Because I couldn't I couldn't really take my club sport um, I, I, to continue the story is I went I went up going to Northeastern for undergrad. 
and I was not a recruit. I tried to walk onto the team really? un- unsuccessfully. <laughs> there were some big boys on the team at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, my skill level wasn't there. Um, yeah. My heart was there, um, but my skill level wasn't. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I feel like that's a lot of us <laughs> with this podcast and a lot of our audience. Yeah. I, I wanted to walk onto Brockport's team or I think my dad messaged them and they were like, nah, he didn't play juniors. He did <laughs> tell him to go play juniors and come back, for, even for D3. So, yeah. But love yeah, of the game, that's, that's what it's yeah. all about. <laughs> yeah, everybody else had played at Hockey Night at Boston. I was like, what's that? You know, so, yeah, right. Um, but yeah, just played, played adult. I actually played intramurals at Northeastern. We didn't have a club team at the time. Um, played in some adult leagues around Boston and like Everett and all these crazy places, yeah. Quincy. Um, and that those were some serious, uh, some serious games um, with some uh, pretty interesting characters. Uh, you're playing when you're like, you know, at the, at the peak of your athletic ability, like 19, 20 years old in these night games versus a bunch of guys that are, you know, yeah, manual labor all day long, and then they they get me jumping out there, this young kid, you know, college mm-hmm. kid, and so you know some pretty some pretty tough games. Um, then I went to graduate school um, on the West Coast at Stanford, and Stanford had a club team. Nice, so I got to play out there, and that was sort of like the, although we were a terrible club team, it was like the pinnacle of my hockey career. We had a band, yeah. we had a band in the stands. We you know traveled to games. It was. Yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. Not a lot of people get to go to Stanford, but to play hockey there as well is pretty Palo Alto is nice. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a um probably one of the more struggling schools in the in that uh, I think it was like the Pac ten or something at the time. We weren't we weren't the best, but uh, we had a lot of fun. Did you find that hard uh, with your rigorous class schedule and playing club hockey? I did. I was married too, so it oh, was wow. uh, yeah. So I was married living in California off campus and traveling, uh, for, for games. So we would travel down to like UCLA and USC, um, mm-hmm. like a four or five hour bus ride. And, um, and I, again, I was past my prime and I just remember absolutely getting blown up at a USC game. I was like skating over the blue line head down and some yeah. kid who was probably 17 years old, just absolutely just exploded me on the line. And I just remember like, you know, the birds circling around as I'm yeah. laying there, getting back to my feet going, I'm way too old for this. Jeez. I um, could have had that moment there, right? Yeah. Just where you just realize your, your time has passed, yeah. you know? Wow. So, uh, yeah, I read, read kind of a interesting article about your, uh, career and kind of what led you to sparks. Um, so you studied mechanical engineering and, um, sounded like you had a really, successful job but the way the article worded it at least was that you're felt like you're going through the motions do you want to dive into to that a little bit and kind of your professional career and what, how that turned into sparks yeah so you know going to northeastern i went there i knew i knew my chances of playing hockey were pretty low um but i i wanted to study engineering i always like tinkering and building products and you know just even just hacking around you know, mopeds and dirt bikes and stuff as a kid. So I didn't really have another direction in life. I, I almost became an engineer because I couldn't figure out anything else to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I, and I love designing stuff. I went, I worked for some product design firms and um, wound up moving to California through one of these product design firms, wound up packaging electronics for a bunch of years. Um, 
early in my career, even before I went to graduate school, and that's how I wound up being a married graduate school student as I was working, wasn't really sure that this is what I wanted to do, just put like circuit boards in boxes, which is what I was doing. And so I went back to Stanford to learn a little bit more about electrical engineering and how that all worked. Hmm. Um, and basically took a took all my courses in electrical engineering and embedded systems and robotics and came out. And at the time, the Silicon Valley was booming in medical devices. So you could kind of go one of two paths. You could go in like telecommunications or you could go or and like semiconductors or medical devices. Those were the big industries in the early 2000s. And I chose medical devices and and had a, had a really great run there that lasted from like 2003 to 2013, where I just sort of had, you know, varying levels of um, engineering exposure and then moved into more management and then got into business development where we were looking at technologies to acquire and buy in medical. Uh -huh. So I was kind of combining my knowledge of technology, how patents worked, how business worked mm -hmm. and helping to sort of say to a business like this, this is a smart product. Um, it's got good IP, you know, patent protection. It would be a really good add to our business. And then I think the last sort of the cherry on top of my career was working with all the finance people to model that business and understand like, you know, mm -hmm. revenue side, you know, the operating mm -hmm. expenses and really kind of boil it down to like, is this a smart thing we should go buy and how much is it worth? Wow. No, knowing all that and looking at what you have now, it sounds like that was a really good, I mean, I guess that's true in all entrepreneurship, right? Everything leads up to um, what you currently do. So, yeah, they say like it, it people will say like it, it, it looks so like such a um, well thought out path in the rearview mirror, <laughs> but at the time it kind of felt like I was bouncing around and sort of like, not really sure where this was all leading, but just following my interests. Hmm. And then, and then, you know, the rest of the story is, you know, kind of, I was always coming up with ideas. And then one day you wake up and you don't like the thing you're doing, your hmm. career, you have kids and a mortgage and, and, and I'm a spreadsheet guy. I love, I love kind of putting things in spreadsheets and figuring them out. And I, I put my life in a spreadsheet huh. and I was like, you know, drag and drop. And I was like, holy cow, I'm going to be doing this till I'm 70. Like, I don't, I don't know how this ends well. Like if I just keep doing what I'm doing. Wow. Um, and that's when I was like, I, I have to go, I have to go start something. You know, I, mm. I've, I've been watching other people do it for years and um, what ideas do I have? And you're living in Boston at the time. Yeah. I had moved back. So we, we moved back from the Bay area to Boston. Um, still in medical devices and then i was in i was in medical from like oh six to 13. Yeah. Um, so yeah and boston's a pretty big medical startup hub and coming from silicon valley i'm sure you met a lot of startup founders that did the same thing right yeah that's actually i think one of the challenges is um hardware businesses so i'm a mechanical engineer at heart mm -hmm. i like to build product there aren't there aren't a lot of product consumer product businesses in the Boston area. It mm. is a lot of medical. Um, it's a, you know, medical is um, a very lucrative business to be in, right? The margins are really high in medical. Mm. So all the, the whole world wants to be there. Designers, manufacturers, everybody wants to be in medical. And so it squeezes out hardware. 
Um, and most mm-hmm. of a lot of hardware stuff winds up either overseas, some of it's still in the Bay Area. Um, but so being here and wanting to do product was sort of like the black sheep, like not a, not many people leave medical to go into, um, you know, making consumer products. It's kind of going backwards. Yeah. I see what you mean. There. You're kind of, you're kind of at the, you can't, you, yeah, can't, you're, you can't do better than medical in making mm-hmm. physical products. Okay. Um, but you have to love what you're doing. And I didn't love what I was doing. I was, I think it's, it's, you know, it's a very noble thing to do is design products that help people and save lives and keep people healthy. But it wasn't something that like got me out of bed every morning, you know? So, so did you go ahead and just quit your job or did you have some kind of uh, like, did you start working and ideating sparks before you took that leap? Yeah, definitely did that. So (laughs) probably a year before I left full time for sparks, um, I was, or maybe even two years, two years before I was, I had the, the, the notebook out and was like, okay, what are all the ideas I have? And I was pushing, pushing the ideas through that same, uh, rigorous, um, thought process that we would use in, in, in the company I was working for to decide whether or not we would acquire something. I would take each of these ideas and model it out and it would be, you know, a multi-day, um, investment of time to say, okay, what are the products looks like? What are the margins? What are the operating expenses? How does it scale? Is there a business here? And, and at every time it'd be like, nope, it's too small. It's too small. It's too small. Um, just wouldn't, wouldn't sustain what I want to uh, achieve in life. And then the skate sharpener, which was sort of like, not, it definitely wasn't the first thing I wanted to do because I, I knew the hockey market was smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, just on face value, you're like, oh, it's a skate sharpener. It's a, you know, it's, it's a very small market, a very small subset of a small market. Hmm. And um, so it was one of the later on things that I had worked on, but um, there was really no other way to solve this problem of skate sharpening. Like there were so many reasons why mail order skate sharpening, which was one of my first ideas, like the ability to take your skate mm-hmm. blades and put them in a sleeve like Netflix. Yeah. Netflix. Yeah, Netflix yep. in the early days where you would drop a CD in the mail. Yeah. I was like, oh, Netflix is completely online now. But at the time, it used to be something you mailed away. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, we'll put skate blades in, in the mail and ship them around and we'll have all these uh, centralized mm-hmm. locations. And that didn't work. And then I sort of threw away the skate sharpening idea for a couple of years until I was like, well, what if we build a sharpener? And why, we make- why didn't it work? Sorry to... Was oh it- yes. So the reason why it doesn't work is all of the all of the equipment you need to purchase, the people you need to hire, and the cost of um, shipping the product around. It it turned into like, and some people are trying to do this, but it turns it into like a thirty dollar skate sharpening or a twenty five dollar skate sharpening. That's mm-hmm. only marginally let more convenient than mm-hmm. if you just brought them to the store. Like if I have to take my blades and put them in a sleeve and put them in a mail and ship them yeah. out, get them back. Like that is, it's still not 5 a.m. I have bad blades. I can sharpen them in five minutes before I leave for a game. Mm-hmm. And where it really, where the light bulb went off is I bought a Wissota skate sharpener back in mm-hmm. 2012 and I had it in my garage yeah. and I was sharpening my own skates. And that was the aha moment of, mm-hmm. I knew the mail order thing didn't seem to work. I didn't think I could convince people to pay 15 to $25 to ship their skate blades away. And at the time we actually didn't have the Bauer trigger 
Yeah. So it required it required the infrastructure of switching everybody's skate blades, right? And that's the thing. You'd have to have two, you'd have to have two sets. You'd have to have two now. sets. And like yeah. it just was like it was it was just not the right answer. And then I bought the the whistle to the manual machine and I started sharpening my skates. And I just, it was like the heavens opened up, the clouds parted. I, I actually ran upstairs. I still remember the story. And I like woke my wife up at like two o'clock in the morning because I, when I bought the Wissota, it came with a VCR tape that you had to watch. It was called The Art of Sharpening or something like that. And I figured it all out and got the skate blade level, which took forever. And, but when I sharpened my skate after having played hockey for 20 years and never had control of skate sharpening, I was like, this is it. This is the solution. Like, this is amazing. If you can sharpen your own skates, the, like the putting that power into the hands of the consumer, I was just like, okay, that's it. We got to figure out how to make a skate sharpener. That's way easier to use that. I don't have to watch an hour long VCR tape that gives me a reliable sharpening. That's safe um, and accurate. If we could figure that out, then we've got a product, you know, we could bring it down to something where you pay like a one-time fee and then the sharpening cost is super low and you're not dealing with the mail and you could put any skate on it. You don't have to have like a specific trigger system or so that was, that was the, uh, that was the aha moment. That was the aha moment. And it was, that was 2012. And then it was off to the races designing, had a whole bunch of crazy ideas. Um, but I actually hired two engineers that were still students at Northeastern mm. where I went to undergrad. And for anybody that's ever thinking about doing anything entrepreneurial related, that was, that was the got that was the, the move that turned it from like something that was kind of serious, but I, it probably never would have went anywhere. Like the instant I put like skin in the game and started paying yeah. people to do work so that I can changes. It all changed. Like progress started happening. I could still keep my day job because there was no way I was going to afford like my mortgage and everything else with this, you know, this hobby on the so side. You're, you're paying two other people while you have your day yeah. job. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was all in. I mean, it was, yeah. but it, it, it was like, you know, I put a little bit of money aside and said, you know, if I blow through this and I get nowhere, at least I tried. Mm -hmm. So, but then just progress started happening and I, I, you know, happened on a couple of people that were pretty smart and, and we clicked and, and um, you know, there, all the technology was there for us, you know, at the time, 3d printing yeah. CAD was readily available. And that's it, awesome. Yeah. Did you, did you kind of, when you first were standing in front of your Wissota, the big, I'm, you know, the big ones, were you envisioning your, uh, I don't know, what is it? Three feet wide by two feet, kind of compact. It's almost like, uh, like, apple like um mm -hmm. kind of the the aesthetics of your machine um no we we weren't um we started out or i started out before i even hired people i thought the solution was going to be an app i thought it was going to be an app that you mounted on the skate blade i thought there was going to be a holder for the skate that you put a phone into and it would provide all of the alignment of the skate because uh -huh. that's really you know, if you think about what makes a skate sharpening a skate sharpening and what's the, what's the problem that you have to solve. First and foremost, you have to line the skate up with the wheel perfectly. Like the skate has to be not tipped mm -hmm. and it has to be lined center to center. That grinding wheel has to be centered on the blade or your skate sharpening is, is not worth anything. Mm -hmm. And so I thought we could accomplish all of that centering and alignment with some kind of app. And so in the beginning I was playing around with like phone mounts 
for a skate for a skate holder. Wow. And that didn't that that wasn't there was there was yet a whole slew of other things we had to solve, like mm. pressure between the skate blade and the wheel, yeah. translation speed, handling the heel on the toe. There were still so many variables that the phone wasn't going to solve that we that we then made the leap to say, OK, well, this is actually going to be a skate sharpener like it has to do everything. Yeah. Um, so we were you thinking kind of a. uh not not cheaper, but were you thinking kind of more of a uh, readily available, like lower price bracket at first? Like if it wasn't going to be a sharpener, if it was just going to be like you put your phone in and it's kind of like a that's what I, fixer? That's, I, that's I think what I thought. I, I, I almost didn't know back then. <clears throat> it was it was almost like you would I was just start down a path of a solution mm-hmm. and then run into problems that were insurmountable with that solution. I knew. And I remember pitching to some of my early investors and they would ask you like, how do you know you're going to be successful at this? And mm. my, my answer, honestly, because I know I'd been working on it for a while and I didn't have a solution, but I knew that if I did anything, it would advance this area of technology light years ahead of where it was. Like the skate sharpener, that, yeah. that manual skate sharpener, the Wasoda, great company, nice North American company, yeah. that thing is an antique it looks no different today than it did for four generations ago right so i knew that anything i did if i accomplished anything it would be a huge leap and so that that was my answer in the beginning like i i don't know what it's going to look like but i've already made huge progress and i've done nothing i haven't even accomplished what i want to accomplish yet and i've already made huge strides and so originally it was like i was I was actually thinking there's a company called Dupla Skate, you know, which has a, a, you know, it has a vertical mounted skate and I was had it like a radial arm saw where you'd go back and forth. Um, and at the time we were just trying to figure out skate sharpening and the, and the rotation of the wheel and the pressure and what goes into a skate sharpening. There's a, there's a lot of ingredients that, you know, don't burn the blade, but remove steel. Um, and so there's like, there's, there's just so many ingredients that we were just stumbling around figuring out. At the same time, in the background, like, okay, well, that doesn't solve it. That doesn't solve it. We kept having to, like, pull in various aspects. Like, okay, we got to hold the skate. Okay, we have to control the pressure. Okay, now we have to control the translation speed. Um, you know, we, we have to we have to monitor the abrasive life. And so we just kept, as engineers, we just kept grabbing features and pulling them into the design. Hmm. It's a very uh, mathematic and mechanical way to think about it, right? If one thing's not doing it, then it has to be. Uh, one of the other variables. It sounds like you were pretty confident um, like with these investors and with yourself and um, just the fact that you knew the ability, you had the ability to, to get it done. Um, one of my questions was, you know, how did you manage these roadblocks um, along the entrepreneurial journey? Um, sounds like that transition was, was one, but you just kept your head down and yeah. knew that there knew, you knew there was going to be a different way about it. Yeah. I think, I mean, you hit a million roadblocks as you do this, but you hit them in, in, in life in general anyway. Right. I mean, you, that, that was one of the things like I, I could either be working for somebody else and having the same roadblocks and be subject to whatever culture that they created or they didn't even create or probably didn't even care about. Hmm. Um, and so I was like, well, I could I could either be having fun and hanging out with people I like building a product I would use in a sport that I love 
<laughs> or I could be designing products in an industry I don't really love. I don't like mm -hmm. the people. I don't like the culture. I don't like, so it was, yeah. to me, it was just like, there was really no choice, but to keep going. And again, it, it came back to, um, it came back to like, we absolutely have to be able to improve what's out there. Mm -hmm. And then I think that's where that initial idea eventually in the fall of 2013, early winter, 2014, we have the product in your background there that's on, at least on my right side, the generation one sharpener. We had that design made um, sort of in CAD and various aspects of it built up in the lab. It looked nothing like that, but at least functionally it worked. And we went to Kickstarter with what was a model. It was like a facade of a product. Wow. And then Kickstarter, you know, we were like, you know, we yelled into a, into a Canyon, like, Hey, does anybody want a sharpener? And like a lot of people yelled back. And so that was what like made it, you know, we're not crazy. This is a product. A lot of people want. And we sold, I, I think, you know, $300,000 worth of skate sharpeners in, in a month. Wow. And that's, and that's when we were like, okay, this is, this is, this is real. So you sold them before you even made them. We sold them before we had even finished designing it. <laughs> It was like a, it was like a, like a link, um, an erector set on a table. So it was a whole bunch of like, for any engineers or tinkerers out there, we had 8020, which is like this aluminum beam that has fasteners. So you could, it's like, a, it's like an erector set. So you could assemble this 8020 frame and we mounted like motors and skates and everything on this, like with C clamps. And I mean, it, it looked like a, you know, it was a Frankenstein of a, of a product. Um, and then we had this facade, this basically, um, like an old Western movie set of a product, mm. um, that we could put onto a web page for Kickstarter to say, Hey, we've got this product. Um, and we were confident we would get there. I mean, yeah. but, but it really was a model in CAD and a erector set version of it that worked or would probably work. And we sold, mm. you know. 300 of them or something like that in a month. And, uh, and then we were like, Oh crap. Now we've got to, we've got to deliver these things at the time. We, I think we had told people six months, which yeah. was in hindsight, just absolute, you know, way <laughs> optimistic on what we could deliver, wow. but we were crazy and, and mm -hmm. we're putting in all, all the hours and we had people sleeping in the office. And I mean, just, yeah the classic entrepreneurial stories, um, there about working around the clock. And, so they're, yeah. they're all pre-orders, right? So you have this influx of cash and now you're like, all right, we got to do anything and everything to get these out the door as soon as possible. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we started looking, we had, you know, there's, we, we were talking to manufacturers. We hadn't selected a manufacturer yet. Um, and there was only like three of us working on it. And so wow. we were, we were absolutely scrambling at that point, um, you know, putting, you know, putting the whole thing in a schedule and saying, okay, we got to, we got to finish the design. We got to finish the prototypes. We got to various phases of prototyping to optimize the product and get, you know, get over to our contract manufacturer and begin sort of working with them on how they were going to construct it and make all the tooling. There's like 30 in that generation one, there was around 30 plastic parts, you know, wow. that have, like tooling that weighs thousands of pounds um, that has to get, you know, cavities cut in it to shoot all the plastic. And it's, a, it was a 
but we had done it before in different yeah. industries in medical mm -hmm. and other places, just never under that tight of a timeline with so you, that much skin in the game. So you have to kind of make relationships with suppliers to, to come up with each material or every, yeah. I mean, every aspect of that, every nut bolt and screw is designed in CAD and you find a source for it Jeez. and you negotiate pricing and the mm -hmm. specifications and, um, and it's, uh, you know, I think there's about two to 300 mechanical components in that sharpener. And then uh -huh. another, and then there's a several circuit boards, which each have, well, at least the main circuit boards got, you know, a few hundred components on it. And so you're, we're, you know, we're not electrical engineers either. So we're working with software engineers, electrical engineers, working RF engineers. <laughs> we had, but it was, it was ambitious and crazy. I knew I had to do it at that age in my life too. Yeah. Uh, I was in my late thirties. Um, now I, I look at that and think, how did I survive? Um, but you know, we did, and we, we managed to deliver on almost the one year anniversary of the Kickstarter launch, we delivered the first product. And wow. so we had, we had spent time, you know, all over the world sourcing that in that year. What was that feeling like? It was great. Um, it was, uh, it, it was it was a huge sigh of relief. It was painful because every sharpener, it was like we took the sharpener and stuffed the box with money because we were losing money on every machine we delivered. Like we way underestimated the cost. <laughs> and so, yeah. and, and, and on top of that, we were air freighting. So every sharpener left our contract manufacturer and went on a plane flew, flying halfway around the world so that we could get it, get it on a plane and fly it to Minnesota. Cause we gave them out at the let's play hockey expo. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we, we, we launched the Kickstarter in one March at let's play hockey. And then the next March we showed up with our sharpeners for all the people that had bought them at the let's play hockey expo the prior mm. year. That's um, weird. <laughs> so it was like, you know, and people were like, Oh, it's six months late. And we're sitting there like, so sorry. Like as we're handing them yeah. the sharpener and like hundreds of dollars, that we were losing on every machine we were giving away. Wow. But it was, it's how you start a company, you know, it's how you build the cult following for the product. And yeah. Yeah. That's right. You, uh, even if you break even or lose money, you're still getting brand awareness and getting it out. Um, and yeah, I mean, just from a business model perspective, it's kind of like the razor blade model with your wheels and Gillette uh, or Gillette. Yeah. Razor blades. Yeah. As far as uh, yeah, your different wheels, you get them out to you know you get you get as many out there and then sell the wheels as well. Um, it was it was the way to, you know, at the time when I was buying say the Wisota and I was looking at the other competitors' products, the manual machines, like those prices at you know eleven hundred bucks or nine hundred bucks in that range, it just seemed too expensive for the hockey family to purchase mm -hmm. and. And I, you know, my initial hope was to get it down in the 499 range. Um, cause it just felt like I, I knew where I would pay for it, especially like when I was in graduate school and playing hockey and, and I was like, oh, you know, I, I, I remember thinking to myself, God, if this could be 500 bucks, this, this, would, this would be a no brainer. Yeah. And then when I was thinking about buying one, I'm like, wow, it's like a thousand dollars. Forget it. I'm just going to go to the store and sharpen my skates there. Mm -hmm. And the only way you can make a product that's got that much technology in it 
it's like a printer or a cell phone. Like you, you have to make the money somewhere. You can't afford the business behind it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if I could subsidize, basically sell the machine at almost a loss, um, and make the money up over time through, through a relationship with the customer, it, it, it was a, it was the way to build a product that solves this problem. Cause wow. you know, we, could, we could very easily, you know, make our money by selling the machine for $1,100, but nobody would buy it or less people would buy it. Yeah. Yeah. So to kind of have that continuing relationship, teaching them, giving them the wheels. Um, kind of it's a, it's a, yeah. It's a long-term relationship with the customer. It says, you know, I trust that you're going to love our product. We're going to stand behind its durability and reliability and the margin that we need to run our business. We're going to make over time through our relationship hmm. versus trying to take it all at the front end and forget and about then, you. Then, yeah, forget about you. Yeah. Like, hopefully this works out. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, similar. My family company here sells graphic arts machines that are pretty expensive uh, initial but then we service them. We supply them with ink and media, all kinds of stuff. Um, so. A business, a business has to make money. People want mm. want the service component. They want the relationships, um, and ultimately, you know, the beauty about these businesses, the Kickstarter businesses, this next generation of products like Sparks, is that the consumer is really getting a lot for their money because, in our case, you know, typically we are a direct to consumer brand, right? So there's not. Mm there's not a retailer in the middle marking mm -hmm. up the product. And so when you buy sparks, you're getting, you know, pound for pound, a much, you're getting much more product for your dollar than you would if you went to, you know, any hockey store and bought a hockey product, because there's, you got to think there's a whole nother layer of markup in there. That's true. Yeah. Never thought about it quite that way. Um, yeah. But yeah. There's a lot of these, uh, you know, new companies direct to consumer and that does seem to be a cool advantage there. Um, but yeah, so you, you do the Kickstarter, you get your first couple of years. What's, uh, what's it been like since then? And kind of, uh, the first couple of years, um, leading up until now. So it's been, it's been quite exciting. So we we're growing super fast as a company. COVID's actually pushed us along. Um, a lot of companies I think are feeling this tailwind. Um, but COVID has, you know, a lot of outdoor hockey is being played. A lot of people are getting dressed in the parking lot uh, nowadays. And so yeah. people are looking for skate sharpening solutions. So we've had a really actually great last year, um, you know, and the introduction of a, of a, of a new product, um, which you can see there in the background. Um, you know, we were taking feedback from the customer. You know, they wanted a product that was smaller, lighter, uh, more portable. And uh, so we spent basically from the, the time that we released Gen 1, um, we had been spending that time a couple of years actually rethinking the product and how do, we, how do we keep all the things that we know and love about Gen 1 and that work really well and bring them into Gen 2 but in a much better package. Um, and that's been, a, that's been a huge hit. So that released in August of 2020. And we have really not been able to keep up. Unfortunately, we're doing the best we can. So any customers out there that are waiting, hmm. trust me, we've got our entire team um, working really hard to, to get as much product as we can. Um, the world is kind of strained right now in the product space. There's a lot, yeah. of, a lot of supply issues, a lot of transportation issues. Hmm. Uh, but we did, you know, as you mentioned before, we <clears throat> signed a deal with Patrick Kane, um, yeah. which, was, which was pretty darn cool. Got to, <laughs> Got to get out on the ice with him, um, and 
And, uh, you know, we, we actually just some, some other news is we just signed Brent Burns. Nice. So Brent Burns is now a Sparks athlete. Um, it's a big personality too. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. You know, it's it's good in marketing to have uh, players like that. Exactly. Yeah. And they, a lot of these players Mm -hmm. come to us seeking a skate sharpening solution and they Mm -hmm. wind up, it winds up becoming a bigger relationship. Awesome. Uh, So, uh, that's kind of cool is to actually have these players. We have quite a, quite a crew of NHL players that all have sharpeners at home now. Wow. Um, and it's a great, it's a great um, way to get introduced to these people to then have a relationship that's maybe outside customer supplier, you know, afterwards. Right. That's cool. What about um, like the actual NHL locker rooms and NCAA? Can you touch on, you don't have to, spit a you know percentage out there or anything like that but i feel like you guys are in quite a few right yeah i think we're in the 25 nhl teams now wow um that actually which is kind of like a funny quick backstory there is we we got into the nhl far faster than we did in the college Hmm. ranks um the nhl teams the nice thing about them is the equipment managers are really always looking to push the envelope um, on technology, um, cool. to, to basically be able to, to provide that to the player, um, and make their lives easier. These guys, you know, they, it's a really hard job that they have, mm-hmm. uh, often underappreciated, overworked kind of folks. Mm-hmm. And, and so with sparks, they're able to do their job a little bit more efficiently, less sort of, um, wear and tear on their bodies. They're not like hunched over skate sharpening machines, manual skate mm-hmm. sharpening machines all day long. Wow. Uh, so when we first introduced the spark sharpener, I think in, uh, that would have been 2015 at the NHL show, I think, which was in Orlando at the time, um, we had, that's the machine on the right, uh, the older machine, the gen one, we had, you know, some of the real big thought leaders in the NHL equipment managers stop by our booth and actually sharpen blades on them and then, you know, do their, you know, jeweler like inspection of the way yeah. that came off of it and it was really cool because we had one individual in particular that was inspecting the blade and he was just sort of he was known as the guy like you know if 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 this person likes it like you're you're all set and so wow. there, was this, there was this crowd of equipment managers around while this one equipment manager is inspecting the blade and he he's looking at it you could like hear a pin drop in the room and then he's, and then he like looked up and he kind of nodded and he's like, it looks good. Like I'll, you know, like I'll take one, you know, uh-huh. and then it, and then it just went like, like uh-huh. gangbusters from there. It went, you know, we probably had of the 25, we might've had 10 teams in a couple months. And then it just, it just kept, kept rolling out from there. Jeez. That's really cool. Uh, was that process of like actually getting or being able to go to the NHL show or like get a product to be used in the NHL hard. I know we've had um, like stick companies on before that need their conditional approval. And um, the one particular elevate elevate hockey has a curved stick and they're still working um, to get into the, into that. Yeah, no, I think the sharpening space might've been unique in that regard and that we're sort of back office. So we were able to get in, um, we don't have the same kind of, um, we don't have to make payments to the NHL for our product to be visible. Right. There's no like blacking out of our logos or anything. I see. Yeah. That to happen with some of the other companies. So we, we had a fairly, a fairly easy run to get in. And then what we did also is there, there, we would do a podium presentation every year, um, 
for the show as well, because we're, we're doing a lot of research on our end in, 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 in terms of sharpening technology, blade technology, and we would present the findings of our research to, you know, 200 equipment managers from around the country, wow. uh, around North America, actually. And that was really well received. Like we would get feedback that said, oh, I had no idea that, or, you know, that, that, that that's why that's happening. Um, mm-hmm. there, were some, there were some nuances to skate sharpening that are, um, that perplex equipment managers will say where they sharpen one brand of skates and they get one result and then they sharpen the same, they sharpen a different brand of skates on the exact same setup and get different results. And that was something we kept hearing about um, in terms of uh, the, the evenness of the skate sharpening. And we would see the same exact problem and we couldn't figure it out. And so we sort of set about um, to really get to the bottom of that mystery. Um, and so we did so over, you know, in between two meetings. And then we presented our findings at one of the meetings and we had tons of equipment managers coming up to us and say like, Oh, can I get a copy of that report? That's amazing. I've been, I've been wondering about that phenomenon for 10 years. Like I've, so. Yeah. I mean, like you, like we talked about earlier for, for guys like us, it's important our youth hockey players, but the pinnacle the NHL players to be trusting and skating on it. That's, that's huge. And talk about being picky and knowing what edge is when it's different. I'm sure those guys are like crazy. So fine tuned, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So real quick, I do have my skate up here. Um, So I worked at Dick's Sporting Goods in like 2014 and funny quick story, like the older gentleman I worked with would literally just send skates out the door sometimes it would be like christmas time you'd be like i don't sharpen them (laughs) but um but i was in team sports and i did use their sharpener that's my my limited skate sharpening experience um but do you want to sharpen for the for dicks a couple months yeah 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 they're a a big customer of ours now so so that nice yeah i was gonna ask that it makes a lot of sense to have a uh a machine doing the work versus a young kid like me <laughs> but like they gave me no training zero training at all on it so yeah. that's the that's, i mean i don't want to make this just all a plug for sparks but that's that's yeah. that is the plug to somebody like a dick sporting goods or any mm-hmm. any, any store is that you could take someone who's a novice right and in five minutes train them to be i mean you're 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 not doing any different skate sharpening than 25 nhl teams that are using our product it's the exact same skate sharpening because the machine's doing everything yeah, and not to not to completely dumb it down, but I feel like an eight year old could probably mm-hmm. figure out the buttons on it. <laughs> and many, many thousands are. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It it it's it's not an entirely complex science skate sharpening. It's constant pressure. It's constant translation speed. It's a you know it's a a robust abrasive that doesn't clog up. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's some secrets. Uh, we, you know, we have patents around how you align the steel, but it, it's something that a machine does really well. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's something that it's a lot of constants that you want to have mm-hmm. um, in place for skate sharpening and, and a human, unfortunately, doesn't do it very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, the classic one that everybody can relate to is, we, you know, the b- banana blade where the heel and the toe are mm-hmm. over sharpened and they're and they're pulled way back okay if you've ever seen that where a skate the heel and the toe will be sh- way over sharpened and that's mm-hmm. because the manual skate sharpener He's when they playing. get when they get to the end they have to slow mm-hmm. down in order to change direction again 
or slow down because, you know, different people have different styles. Some people, you know, do the back and the forth. Some people just do passes in one direction. But either way, you're almost always dwelling a little longer on the heel and the toe where you start and where you finish than you are in the center section of the blade. And if you've got the same pressure and more time, you're going to remove more material. And that's what causes the banana blade effect. And if you're into profiling, so if you're putting a profile on your steel, any of that inconsistency and translation speed wrecks the profile. And so one of the things that's beautiful about Sparks is it doesn't spend any less time in the middle than it does on the ends. Or yeah. more. So it's we're removing the exact same amount of material on the heel as in the center of the blade as the, the toe. Yeah. So we're um, so I just got a profile on my skates for the first time. My friend right. works at Pure Hockey. Kind of, I'm uh, up and down, kind of on my toes, faster cutter. Uh, got it. Three, I do the three eighth sharpening. Um, so I think he. Right. Three eight, oh, three eighths radius or uh, yeah, yeah, three eighths. Wow, okay. Well, I mean, no, I'm no, a, I mean, I know three eighths radius is really sharp. Yeah, t- I mean, enlighten me. I'm 170 pounds, um, five yep. eleven, and like to play a fast on my toes, quick game. Yeah, so I'm virtually the same. I'm five eleven. Used to be 170. COVID made me 180. Um, but uh. I skate on five eighths. I probably should be skating on three quarters. So the tighter the circle, so three eighths being, we'll call one end of the spectrum. There's actually a couple smaller than that. The mm. more your skate's going to dig in the ice. Okay. The more, the more you will feel like you're skating on rails. Like you'll feel like you're totally in your line and nobody's ever going to take you out of that line. Okay. But the more drag you have, it's like the hull or, or the keel of a boat, right? The, Mm-hmm. The, the radius of that, the, the edges of that skate. So a three ace being like this, the edges of that skate are digging into the ice. The flatter the blade profile is the radius, the less mm-hmm. it digs into the ice and the faster it goes. And so the trade-off mm-hmm. is the more you dig in the ice, the more maneuverability you have, the tighter mm-hmm. the turn can be, but the more drag you have and the slower you go. So you want really what the NHL players mostly are doing is they're going as flat as they can until they can't hold a corner. So the NHL guys want it flatter. Flat. It gives flat, them flat. They, yeah, they lose no speed to drag in the ice. Interesting. And so you'll have skaters at like a one inch or one and a quarter and it like if you or I get on that, we're like, okay, this is a speed skate. I have no ability to stop. But those guys will, you know, they're heavy enough that they'll they'll get their lean right so that they get an edge and they get a bite. But when they're straight up on their skates and they're skating fast, they're 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 so fast in the ice. They're they're not sacrificing any drag with with the blade. Huh. Yeah, you're making me rethink everything. <laughs> yeah, so that, I mean, you would want to experiment. You'd want to try like a seven-eighths or a five-eighths. You're going to feel a little bit like loose on the ice when you get out there. You're going to be like, oh, my God, I, and there's not no way I'm going to stop. But when you turn, you're going to stop. Yeah. Like you just, you just have to get used to that. The edge is there. You just have to mm-hmm. use your weight and your strength to hold the line more so like yours is a little bit of a crutch. Like you could, you could like – you could probably be have a 
10 degree lean off the ice and you're never going to slip out because your bite is so strong in that ice with a three eighths cut. Hmm. Yeah. I see but, what you mean. And that's what goalies use. So goalies, a lot of goalies will use a three eighths because they, they, they're using their, yeah. their skates almost like crampons. They just, they bite in the ice to push themselves across the, the crease and then they like they slide on their pads, so their their skate blades are only really touching when they're stopping or yeah. pushing. So, yes, yeah, so, uh, I'm gonna have to try that. I've been I've been honestly feeling fast lately. I um, we're having Anthony from Blade Tech on oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, later later this week, so he hooked us up with these ones. Um, so I don't know if you want to touch on just the quality of the blade because I've always had um, just basic the whatever comes with uh the bowers so um yeah so i mean the big the big thing about blades from our perspective is the flatter the blade the better flat being um hold on let me grab a blade So the blade, there's some, some sparks nice. gray blade there. Um, so the blade in this direction, this side here, this flatness, you want that as flat as possible uh, so that when it's, when it's grabbed by the skate clamp or it's grabbed by the edge checker, when you're checking the edge, that you get a, an accurate reading of the levelness of the skate blade. Right. Okay. Some blades we'll leave them, you know, anonymous. Mm -hmm. Some blades are of lower quality where the blade is actually stamped out instead of laser cut. So some blades, they actually cut the profile out with a laser. And so there will be no um, pinching of the material where the edges are. So some blades, the edges are actually pinched such that they, they bevel like towards the top where you're sharpening. Hmm. And that will cause the, the skate sharpener to misread the skate sharpening. And so flatness is key. And some blade manufacturers, the way they produce blades is to laser cut them. And the laser cut blades tend to be more flat. That was actually the, the takeaway message that we left with the NHL equipment managers that year, wow. which is we studied 15 different blade manufacturers and here's the profile, what these look like in this direction, you know, so some have a really big sort of drop off where you get close to where it gets sharpened. And mm -hmm. that was what was causing the equipment managers to be confused because they would sharpen one skate blade and mm -hmm. it would, and it would measure perfectly level. Then they'd sharpen another skate blade and it would be off. And the reason was, is because the skate blade had a bevel to it and their mm -hmm. edge checker was throwing off the reading. And so then what would happen was the equipment manager would sometimes go adjust the machine to make the beveled edge skate blade actually look straight. Yeah, then they were it throwing it off. They were actually putting out an uneven or unlevel blade because the blade was actually sort of beveled at the edges. Jeez. Um so yeah, and then and then you know, there, I mean there's a lot of the rest of it is vanity, you know, so you have a lot of blades that have the coatings and people like those. They tend sometimes tend to be harder to sharpen, um, sometimes easier to sharpen. Um, is the like, actual like 
strength of the material. Like I, I really don't know mo- too much about steel. It's something that players just, you kind of just take for granted. You don't think about, um, which is why I'm excited that I got my first, you know, uh, aftermarket steel, I guess. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think the blade tech guys make a really good product. I'm actually not sure. Um, I think the origin of their product, you'll have to figure that out. I think they may be yeah. working with Bauer to get their steel. Um, but, uh, you know, step is a really solid product. You know, it's, it's pretty well known in the industry. Um, I think the aftermarket guys tend to spend or had historically spent more money on their blade steel. I think CCM and Bauer are both stepping up their game because they want to own that market as well. Mm. Um, But I mean, you know, if you're not, if you're buying expensive skates and you're buying expensive steel, you're typically getting a good product. Yeah. Um, The, the, the coated steels like the black steel, some the black steels tend to sharpen a little bit easier because Mm. the, the burr, tends to not hold. So there, there, there'll be a burr sometimes that you'll feel in sharpening mm-hmm. and the black steel that has that really hard coating, the burr will actually like fracture off as it's sharpening. And so you kind of get a, you get a pretty nice sharpening right out of the gate without doing much deburring on the black steels. Nice. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, you touched on kind of how expensive skates are nowadays. Have you noticed that um, in the past five years or just, I mean, skates used to be three, four, five hundred dollars. Now they're up to over a thousand. Some of them, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure if you're making that kind of investment, or if you're at a AAA junior level or something, where you're, or you're a hockey dad that has three kids that you just dropped fifteen hundred bucks on skates or yeah. uh, a couple pairs or whatever, it makes a lot of sense uh, for you know the Sparks investment. I think so. I you know being interested, I'm interested in a lot of sports. I'm also a, a big gear guy, just everywhere being the engineer yeah. and the product lover. Uh, you know, if you can swing it, high performance costs money, right? And mm. I think everybody can sort of, not everybody, many people can relate, you know, when you do invest in something that's higher performance, you you get a better product out of it. So I, you know, obviously I'm a bit biased being a product designer and a manufacturer, um, there's a lot of technology in skates these days. I mean, mm. those, this isn't your grandfather's Oldsmobile kind of thing, right? Yeah. These, these are, you know, this is like space age technology and you know, you, you're you laying up carbon fiber and custom molds, mm. uh, you know, just the, the technology that's going into all of our products, the sticks, yeah. you know, it's, you know, no one's forcing you to use the high end stuff. Although, I remember when we kind of all got forced into the sticks. I used to be a, I, and I was I actually saw some of your videos with the old Sherwood 70s, 30s and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, wow, I haven't seen one of those in a while, but <laughs> you know, it is, it is good stuff. I mean, I remember making the switch to the composite sticks. You know, I had the Easton gold aluminum stick in high school, you know, oh, nice. it was like it was like playing with a fence post, you know, it had no flex, you know, it had the wooden blade that got hot glued in there. I mean, sticks yeah. today are a work of art. You know, you shoot with one and it's like, it's, it's, it's <laughs> NASA level technology that, you know, it costs money, but no, I, I don't see a lot of people going back, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're ridiculous. I was at pure hockey just feeling how light some of them are nowadays. Crazy. Um, yeah, we have a guy at work. Um, um, his name is Mike. 
uh, Blomgren. And so, you know, just you watch, you watch people that know how to shoot with one of these sticks. A, you can sauce a puck halfway across the rink, for one thing, right? Which you could never do when I was a kid, just because the way the blades are made. And then just with the t- like, just the tiniest amount of effort, you're rifling this puck. I mean, it's it's leaving like a bullet spinning perfectly. I mean, it's it's. I hate to be a goalie these days. These yeah. things are so amazing um, in what they're allowing people to do in terms of getting shots off and how fast they release. You know, there's not the huge wind up anymore. And yeah, I'm still rocking a two piece. But are you rocking a two piece? So I, I was, yeah. yeah, I broke my. Uh, I broke it last last week. I broke my uh, my blade, so I put another one in. But I think I'm due for a nice low low kick point, nice new fast one. Well, I mean, that was I was that was the kind of the joke I was going to make before, and like nobody's forcing us to do this. But I was a two piece stick guy too for a long it's time. Mean. It's nice. I mean, but, but then you can't buy them. You know, it's yeah. like they just they just took the blades off the market, and so you're like, okay, well, I guess I got to make the switch. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's you'll never go back once you try it you're, you're gonna be like oh that was stupid yeah i mean i've had them before it's just yeah had a nice two-piece that i've been using for a while um yeah cool i got a couple more uh questions from our from our blog writers here um what's the most annoying part of sharpening skates um i guess we can combine this one with how does it compare to traditional sharpening um um flash. Any horror stories? That was another one we had from just so just like uh, yeah, any horror stories you've heard over the years of skate sharpening and kind of what makes it different? Uh, okay, so I'll, I'll hit them in order. Um, I'd say the most annoying part. I mean, sharpening on sparks is super easy, and it's hard to it's hard to think it could get much easier. I'd say the only part that's still mm-hmm. a bit manual is deburring, so you have to take the burr off at the end of the skate sharpening, we, we have a bunch of products that make that, you know, a little bit easier. Um, yeah. that's, that's kind of the, the last frontier in terms of it. It would be completely, you know, idiot proof if you didn't have to deburr. Um, burrs are a sort of a byproduct of sharpening the skate. So it's, it's hard to remove it, um, entirely from the process. Um, uh, and I guess sort of this isn't really the the the, uh, the crowd for it, but I mean even something as 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 um, crazy as sharpening a figure skate on sparks. Like I could never imagine sharpening a figure skate on a manual machine. Um, so um, sharpening a figure skate on sparks is basically the same in terms of ease as as a hockey skate, and that's a good segue into so like what's hard on a manual sharpener? I think everything. Um, so I don't. I mean. And this is how I started Sparks was I actually owned that manual sharpener and I would come running out of my basement on my way to my morning skate. And I know I wanted to sharpen my skates and there'd be like a stare down between like, I'm looking at my phone or my watch and I got to get to the rink and there's the manual sharpener. And I'm like, you know, you know, am I going to roll the dice and try to sharpen this? Or I start sharpening it and the edges are off or I mess something up. Like now I'm halfway through a skate sharpening. Like, and I would just walk out the door and I was like, I own a skate sharpener and I'm afraid to use it. Hmm. And so I think that's on the manual machine. Like everything is hard, you know, getting the skate on there, aligning it, the pressure, the translation speed, like all of it is a task. Hmm. Um, horror stories. I mean, you just told a good one, you know, going to a place where the, 
the person that's sharpening your skates is not invested in the result like you are, right? I mean, think about it. They've got no, they've got no reason. I know. To care. For, for the record, I, I did sharpen the, the woman's skates, but I just like looked at my boss at the time. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm not going <laughs> to send freaking dull skates out the door. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, so, I mean, I, I think that's the horror story is that, you know, we're all playing this game. We're all super invested. Nobody wants to have a bad skate. Yeah. And I think the horror stories that you hear are, you know, people that don't appreciate and, you know, they're, they're not invested in, you know, you having the very best next game. They're mm-hmm. invested in like, they've got six other things to do and five other customers waiting. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's not every retailer for sure. Um, mm-hmm. but those are where you hear the horror stories is, you know, people that, you know, have a bad sharpening and then have a bad game. And Yeah. I mean, there's so, something totally to be said about the consistency aspect of it if you're if you're a 17 year old high school hockey player or something and you know you're gonna get the same exact sharpening every single game like just a totally different layer of confidence that adds and every i mean i think every player i i'm a skater too i'm not much of a hand like i don't have great hands like i was always my skates made me Mm -hmm. any bit of a threat on the ice um and uh just when you have a bad edge, like when you go out and you play a game or you do whatever, and then you and and you're every time you take that left turn, you wipe out. Yeah, it's in your head. It's totally in your head. Yeah. And then you go, and then God forbid you go another game, and you haven't sharpened your skates. Like yeah. you're you're just like you're already yeah, driving the brink. Yeah, you're like, yeah. you're like this is gonna be a shit game. I can't turn yeah. left. Like. And you see the panic in people's eyes. I mean, now we have the removable blades. I'll see like on the bench in men's league, I'll like a guy be like, like everybody's like, Hey Russ, do you have it? What size are your skate blades? Cause I've got more in my bag, you know, yeah. and you see the panic in people. Like, you know, like, mm-hmm. I can't play if I, you know, somebody doesn't have another set of blades for me. And most people don't, I, I've, I've never had two sets of blades um, until now, but you gotta rock, yeah. you gotta get blade tech to rock you another set, man. <laughs> yeah. You're plugging their product. Yeah, I am. Yeah. (laughs) Another set, Garrison. But yeah, I mean, the the whole trigger system is sick now. But uh, cool. Let me see. Um, How often are you actually supposed to get your skate sharpened? Uh, So I would almost answer this like how, you know, it's going to sound a little flippant, but how often do you want to have a good skate? Hmm. You know, so once you have sparks, you know, two cycles over your skate blade is going to take out whatever you did in your last skate for the most part, unless you like skated into a post or stepped on something on the bench. Two and cycles. So, sorry. Uh, two yeah. cycles. Is that like out half back? Of, half out of back. what you. Yep. Half your- of what you would do if. So we usually say, like, if you do four hours of skating, you know, you might want to put four cycles on a skate blade. So that's out okay. and back, out and back, out and back, out and back. That's good for like four hours, almost like hour for hour. Yeah. Um, I typically, when I go out and play, you know, cause I'm not, I'm not, I'm definitely not playing on NHL ice. Like I'm playing in places where there's boot sand everywhere and mm-hmm. the benches have exposed hardware. And I mean, yeah. it's just a nightmare. Same. Uh, and so like, I'll do, I'll do two cycles on my skates almost every time I play just so right. that it's not a psychological thing for me. Like I know I sharpen my blades. I'm going to have mm-hmm. a good game. Like I can worry everything else I can, all my excuses are going to have to be somewhere else in my game. They're not going to be because my skates are doing what they're supposed to be doing. 
That's cool. So if you got a sparks every time is, is the answer, right? I would, I mean, sometimes I'll go two skates, but it's, it really mm-hmm. does. Two cycles is going to take about a minute. And so in the time, like I start my car and grab my bag, like I've gotten my skates resharpened. It really, it'll take me two minutes and I'll have a brand new skate sharpening. Huh. No, no questions asked. Like, I don't have to worry what happened in my last game. Did I step on something before, like after I left the ice and by the time I got home, like, did I step on something going back to the locker room, mm-hmm. in the locker room? Did I drop my bag and my skate was at the bottom of my bag? I just put a fresh edge on every time. Yeah. Peace in mind. Exactly. Yeah. Um, challenges in kind of becoming a reputable brand. I mean, I'm sure after the whole NHL, uh, you know, entrance there, it, that endorsement of being in NHL locker rooms and now Patrick Kane and, uh, you know, having NHL players pose with your products and, you know, uh, you know, stand up for them helps a ton. But in the early days, how did that, uh, how did you kind of the early days were tough there there weren't there were there was a subset of the market that wanted us to be successful and i think there were maybe more people that wanted us not to be successful in the early days hmm. um and those being you know professional sharpeners that didn't really believe that you could do what a sparks machine was claiming it could do um so I, you know i think the challenge with getting acceptance is never you know never failing that's, that's terrible, right? We, we had to prove ourselves in the beginning um, to some pretty, pretty uh, um, detailed customers, right? The NHL guys, I mean, if, if, if it was a substandard product, they would have just cast us aside as like a gimmick, you know? They would have just said, oh yeah, it's a cute, but you know, you're going to stay down with the consumers. You're not, you're not ready for NHL guys. Um, and then what was awesome is we would get emails and text messages from the NHL guys saying like, the entire team is out on the ice right now, all on sparks, hundred percent, and not a soul notices it. Wow! And that's when that's when, and we we actually had some pretty cool events where the NHL um, equipment managers would actually share that information. You know that is that in a game? Yeah, in games and practice. Sure. Yeah, that's I mean it's, <laughs> it's not across the board. You know, we still have a lot of NHL teams that will yeah. use sparks and then finish on a manual machine, but we do have a lot of teams that'll that'll send their guys out um, on sparks. You know, directly, um, and it's player by player. And but um, it was those early days of um, getting that validation that you know we have the best of the best, the best skaters in the world who cannot tell whether or not I'm doing it or whether or not Sparks is doing it. And that's how we spread in the NHL. Um, you know, and then tens of thousands of consumers now that have them, um, you know, that's that's validation in itself. And we're kind of seeing a little bit of the tipping point this year where there's enough of these out in the in the world that, you know, we're, we're, we're no longer, it's no longer a question like, does that product work? I don't think anybody's really, I don't think, I mean, I could be wrong. I think yeah. a lot of people are like, well, it must work. It's been around for a while. Yeah. I mean, even I've noticed it in this past year, like, like I said in the beginning, I've known about you guys for maybe two or three years now, but this past season, I've heard a little bit more chatter in the locker rooms of, Oh, he's got one of those sparks machines or, you know, so it's, uh, that's awesome. Man. Um, any, uh, any kind of real, Oh shit moment where you're like, Oh my God, this is, this is it. I'm, I'm really onto it. Um, Oh, uh, oh shit moment. 
being um like i worked I, like i have this idea i think it's gonna work um you know i guess the kickstarter sounds like it but is there any like look around me like oh man i'm doing this i i oh, you know, yeah. gave up my mechanical engineering job and now i'm a full-time entrepreneur and i made it almost yeah i've had i've had a couple you know name drop kind of moments here for you but like when I was standing next to Wayne Gretzky and explaining how the Sparks machine worked, <laughs> and we were uh, we were basically the the official skate sharpener in the Bellagio Hotel for Wayne Gretzky's fantasy camp, Shit. and I'm sitting there and it's like Wayne. I had a poster of this guy on my my wall as a kid that I used to measure my height against from probably the time I was six to whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, and I remember having the moment where I'm like, I like like don't you know me like like i i, I know who you like it was, it was such a familiar face you couldn't believe that this person knows he knows nothing about you but it was like that and then um i had another one where i you know got to spend you know an hour or two with bobby Orr, wow. and sort of explain the machine to him and and you know talk him through it and what we were trying to do in the very early days like pre-kickstarter wow. and those were like those were and then obviously you know being able to be at a, a video shoot with Patrick Kane and him ask me, like, I've got Patrick Kane asking me my story. Like, so how did you, how did you do this? You know? And, wow. and Patrick Kane's like larger than life, but he's in real life. He's actually not a, mm -hmm. you know, a gigantic dude, you know? I mean, he's, yeah. he, he's a monster strong. Yeah. Oh my, you're Patrick Kane, <laughs> you know? Um, and so all those moments are like pinch yourself moments, like, holy cow, like this thing has really taken me to places like I would have never, yeah. never predicted. I actually was on a, I was on a phone call with Mark Messier a couple weeks ago and you're like, Jeez. six or seven Stanley cups. I'm like, you're like number three on the top hundred hockey players in history. Huh. Here we are shooting the shit, you know, it's, it's, it's a cool, it's been a cool ride. That's incredible. Um, what, what last question? What would be a kind of a piece of advice you'd have to someone uh, like myself in the young twenties, or any of the guys that you know write or work with us? Um, anybody thinking about starting uh, a brand in hockey and um, a consumer brand in hockey? Um, oof, you 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 made it. Um, Doesn't have to be both, but part of the funnel of hockey. Um, I mean, I think, you know, a big key for me, I mentioned it before, was like putting putting skin in the game and starting. Like once you – like I, I didn't start this till I was probably 38 or something or 37. And I spent a lot of time, which, which was good because I gained experience in doing so. But I spent a lot of time like, you know, can I, am I going to be able to do it? Like how am I going to figure out how to do this? Like – you know, is it, am I going to be successful at this? Like, should I do it? You know, mm -hmm. I don't really like what I'm like, just so much questioning. And then once I started doing and I, and I had like money invested, it almost took on a life of its own that I couldn't get out of the way of it. And it was almost like being in the casino and being like way up and then starting to come down. And you're like, well, I got like, I just was, I was, I was invested. I was going to lose it all or I was going to be successful. But before like, jumping in and just saying like, let's just see what happens. I just questioned myself for so mm. long. Um, and then the other one is like, if you can swing it, like hire people. Like if one of the things you're trying to figure out is how do I, you know, 
in my case, I had two kids, a mortgage. Like, how am I going to go start a company? I should have done this when I was 23. I just went and hired people. And, and you know, it was crazy at the time. It was yeah. real lunacy. But it was my retirement. I was either going to spend it when I was 70 and hate the next 25 years of my life. Yeah. Or I was going to spend it now and potentially change those 25 years. Yeah, you kind of like kept your real job and acted like an orchestrator of the business from kind of a higher level um, so that you had the manpower. Like right now, I mean, even just with this and um, a couple of different things I'm doing, it's like, it's getting to be a lot with how, you know, how much this is going there. And, and if you have that entrepreneur, like, you know, not everybody can be an entrepreneur. So like whenever you hear those like podcasts and they're like, you know, Gary V riling up everybody, like mm -hmm. you, everybody can do it. I, I, I honestly don't think everybody can do it. But a lot of people can. And a lot of things that are holding people back is sort of like the fear of the unknown and how am I going to do it? And the, the older you get, the harder it's going to be. And, and one of my one of my mentors once told me when I was sort of having these questions, he's like, what what do you have to lose? Like, if it fails, just go back to doing what you're doing now that you don't like. Like, and that was like a it was like such a huge like thought process because I was thinking like, Oh, I've got this job and they pay me and they got health insurance. It's like, it's like quit your job, go full time. And if it fails, just go get a similar job that you don't like. Like there's lots of those jobs. Yeah. And that was like, oh, whoa, that's, that's like deep thought. Like, wow, mm -hmm. you're right. Why am I holding so firmly onto this thing? That's like not as cool as this other thing that I'm passionate about. That's probably going to be far more successful if I take the leap. Wow. And you you kind of said it just opened its opened its way once you committed things just started happening. Yeah, and then you yeah, and then you you have you know once I had those guys working for me, those young college kids, it was like I I I sort of promised them a vision, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to let them down. And no. then I then I had money in it. Well, I don't want to waste all that money. And then it was like I just started I started telling people about. It. I'm like, well, you know, it's like signing up for a road race, you know. Yeah. Like you could talk all you want about the 10 K or the marathon, mm -hmm. but when you register and you've yeah. got that like email that says you just paid $35 to get a t-shirt, you're like, Oh shit, I might as well train. Yeah. You know? And then day leads after day and you wind up at mm -hmm. the race, you know? So you, I think you got to register. You got to, um, you got to put skin in the game and just jump in. Yeah. That's great advice. Uh, cool. Well, any, uh, any future plans for sparks or anything you want to uh, get into or no? Um, you know, so we, we're, we're going to try to get to Canada, um, and, and be, be a presence, um, a physical presence in Canada. Right now we do everything from the U S, um, where we, you know, we have a lot of customers in Canada, so we want to reach them more directly. Nice. Uh, we, we just launched a French language site for all our friends in Montreal. So that was a big, took way longer than it should have, yeah. um, going to Europe soon as well. Um, probably in a more direct way than we are today. And, uh, you know, we continue, we've got a lot of engineering talent and, and marketing talent. So we continue to kick around a lot of cool new, um, hockey ideas. We can't really dive into those today, but I'd say follow sparks and you're going to see some pretty exciting news in the next, next couple yeah. of years. That's probably it. Nice. Yeah. I got the, uh, little sparks ticker here. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's been painted there. Uh, uh, yeah. Cool. Um, so yeah, guys, check out Sparks Hockey. It's at Sparks S P A R X Hockey, um, SparksHockey.com. Uh, what's like 
what's kind of the best way for you know if somebody listens to this podcast and they're they're pretty serious about checking it out um and purchasing one you just recommend kind of watching the videos on your site or yeah so we have a we have a ton of videos on our site a lot of youtube stuff chris kabui from um hockey tutorial just did a uh, a nice cover of our uh, new machine so check that out nice. um we sell at letterman's in minnesota and, and then we sell at new england sports center in in massachusetts so you could always check out the machines in person there oh cool uh, some more exciting news coming in the see it in the stores uh, but i can't really get into that now that's uh, nice but yeah, the website, the internet's an amazing place. Lots of info out there. Yeah, sure is. And then we'll uh, we'll hopefully blast this out for you and get some get some new people to be aware of it. But, uh, I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Rush. I uh, I appreciate you coming on. No doubt. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Guys, check out Sparks Hockey. That was uh, episode of the Morning Scary. See ya.